podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. blew its chance to really make a name for itself this weekend and at this point uh, i guess the name is just kind of mud i'm your host philip slavin thank you for joining us on this monday for the 10 12 podcast that covers all 10 teams in the big 12 conference no chris ross today schedules are what they are but i am not alone in recapping week to Andy Mitch from Land Grant Gauntlet and Rock Chalk Pod joins the show again. We got a lot to talk about today. Look, the Big 12 didn't have a great weekend. It's two best opportunities to make a name for itself. It it lost. And in one case, West Virginia just kind of embarrassed itself. But don't sell all your Texas stock yet. And if you're going to, let me have it. I'd like a portfolio full of Texas stock. I am ready for it because the Longhorns are still good. They're just not as good as y'all hyped them up to be at the beginning of the season. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's on you, not them. That said, the Big 12 has one win over a Power 5 team, and that's Oklahoma State against Oregon State, and that ain't that ain't great. Houston's okay, but let's be honest, that's not much to wag your tail about. Two weeks in, and I don't know how good or bad the Big 12 is. I They just are. It's OU. Texas is still good despite the loss, and then there's everybody else. I have some theories on each team, but I I don't have anything to prove just yet. But there's a lot to take away from this past weekend. Yes, we're going to talk about Kansas a little bit, but not too much because even Kansas fans don't want to talk about that. Kansas State is the early season surprise. West Virginia looks awful. Fun stats to discuss, specifically regarding Jalen Hurts and Tylen Wallace, and we are going to talk quite a bit about that Texas loss to LSU. Before we get to that, however you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple or Google or TuneIn, do us a favor, make sure you are subscribed to never miss a single episode of the 1012 Podcast. Rate and review the show as well. Five stars if you don't mind. It helps get the word out about the show. Also, if you guys aren't signed up for ESPN Plus yet, you need to do so. 
There's not really football games left on there, but there's going to be a ton of men's and women's Big 12 basketball games, other Olympic sports, and some really cool shows. There's a really neat show about Oklahoma State pre-game before the game on Saturday. I got to watch some of it. It was really neat. Big 12 now is focused on the Big 12. If you're a Big 12 fan and you're tired of the SEC network and you're tired of the ACC network and you're tired of the Big 10 network and, well, no one's tired of the Pac-12 network because nobody actually gets it. But if you love the Big 12 and just want them to talk about the Big 12, well, this is your opportunity. Get ESPN Plus now. It's $4.99 a month. Go follow us on Twitter at TEN, the number 12, the word podcast. We've got a tweet pinned to the top. Click that link. Get signed up. Yes, it helps us out. No, it doesn't cost you any more. All you got to do is, and you don't even have to follow us on Twitter. I mean, I'd appreciate it. But if you click that link, get yourself signed up, we'd certainly appreciate it. But if you do want to give us a follow, that's at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Week two is in the books, and the... Let's just put it this way. After a week one where the Big 12 went undefeated, although against some mediocre competition, uh, the Big 12 did not go unscathed in week two. And let's just be honest, they struggled in the games that mattered the most in week two. And here we are with a lot of questions, um, but um, I think we need to, to balance out some overreactions to what happened on the field this past weekend. Andy Mitz who covers Kansas for Landgrant Gotland, as well as one of the senior writers involved in all sorts of Big 12 news, joins me back for our little, uh, let's say, conference call for the Landgrant Gotland. Welcome back, Andy. Hey, it's good to be back. So I want to start with Texas, because that was obviously the big game of the weekend, Texas versus LSU in Austin. Uh, Texas comes away, losers 45-38, to 38, and I, I feel like everybody at this point is just selling all of their Texas stock as much as they can sell off. Everybody wants to get off the train, and that's fine. Um, I'm buying all your stock up. I, I will take all of it. Um, I was never on the train of Texas is back to begin with. If you've listened to the show before, you know I, I've not been a Texas is back guy. But what I saw on Saturday didn't make me think less of what Texas was because of my actual expectations. It actually thinks me, makes me feel better about Texas. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute. But Andy, just kind of what was your takeaway from that that game in Austin on Saturday? Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to say some of that stock for me because, yeah, I, I mean, I still think Texas – played like a top 10 team. Um, you know, LSU, everyone was expecting is one of those teams, you know, if, if it weren't for Alabama and Georgia being the consensus two and three right now, um, you know, I, I think everyone would be talking about LSU as kind of a potential playoff team. Like everyone's assuming that LSU is not going to get through those two schools, which I don't know that that's necessarily true. Um, but Texas played really well. I've, you know, again, I, I like you never really, thought of you know texas as being back of course you have to figure out what does that actually mean um but if we're talking about them being a you know top of the big 12 program you know like in that top two or three being a consensus top 15 type of program i mean i think they've done plenty to show that this year so far yeah i mean look okay so here's the thing to me that game came down to one stat lsu was five of five in the red zone texas was three of five and that includes a perfectly called, beautifully executed play right there in the first quarter with a pass from Sam Ellinger to a open-for-days Keontre Ingram who just flat dropped the ball. And then another goal-line stop by LSU. 
Texas had their opportunities early in the game and didn't execute when they had them. And that's what really cost them this game. That's it. I mean, that's how close this game was. This wasn't LSU came and dominated Texas or Texas looked bad or anything. LSU is that good. And Texas lost to what was the better team on Saturday. That's it to me. It was it was that close of a game. Well, and and I mean, it was even closer than that because, you know, Texas went down and got that final score. And then the onside kick, the Texas player had the ball and just wasn't able to hold on to it long enough to consider it to be possession. So he ended up being out of bounds with it. Like he had that recovered. It went straight through the LSU guys. It was right there. If he had just been able to hold on to it when he came down back onto the ground, they would have considered that to be him recovering it and then rolling out of bounds. And Texas would have had the ball with about 45 seconds left to go down there to try to score again. And the way they'd been moving the ball in the fourth quarter, like, I have absolutely no doubt that they would have gotten it in to tie that game. Yeah. I mean, look, all the talk about DBU, blah, 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 blah. Oh, they, with all those wide receivers going off, there were no defensive backs. No, those were really, really good. Here's the thing. LSU has been getting five-star wide receivers to come to LSU for years, and it has driven me nuts because why, for years, would you go to a place that never throws the ball? Now, now they throw it. And, and the three guys they had that all caught, like, 120 yards worth of passes, they were freaks. They were making incredible plays, incredible catches. This wasn't a matter of like Texas was playing bad defense. This was LSU's offense was playing like you would expect an offense with a kind of athletic talent that LSU has recruited. And Joe Burrow looked really good. On the flip side, LSU's got a really good defense. And Texas did to it what a Big 12 team does to any Big 12 defense. They scored on them really, really well, except for there in the red zone. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's always kind of bugged me, the fact that, you know, it, all I hear, I, I actually live in SEC country, in, well, the upper reaches of SEC country, and all I hear all the time from all the SEC fans is, you know, the, the SEC, they actually play defense, Big 12, they have no defense at all, and, and yet when you get one of the, you know, better SEC teams going up against one of the better Big 12 teams, what do you have break out? Oh, it's a Big 12 game. Lots of offense. Defenses making decent plays but being completely overshadowed by just how volatile those offenses are. And, and I mean, that's really what we see all the time in the Big 12. The top teams have really good offenses and decent defenses. The problem is when the defense makes a good play, it's immediately overshadowed because the next play is a phenomenal catch by some offensive wide receiver. Yeah, a good defense has been overvalued for a long time because the, big, the, the SEC didn't play great offense, so it looked really good. And when the two met up, the other thing that drives me nuts is this. Let's stop confusing bad defense with less talented defense. The Big 12 has teams that play really good defense. They just don't have defenses stacked too deep with four and five stars. So that doesn't mean you're playing bad defense. You can execute and have a great defensive game plan. You just don't have the talent on that side of the ball that the SEC does with four or five or six teams deep. That doesn't make your defense bad. It just means it's less talented. And those are two very different. Kansas plays bad defense. TCU, Texas, Iowa State, they play good defense. OU played bad defense last year. There are teams in the Big 12 who play good defense. They just don't have the athletes that other teams who play, quote-unquote, good defense do. And that, I think, is a. it's not an insult to say there's a difference between good defense with less talent and good defense with great talent. Right. And, and what you see there is typically when a team has really good starters, but the backups aren't very good, especially when you play in the Big 12, you're not going to be able to play your starters 
the entire game. Or if you do, they're going to be so dead by the fourth quarter that it's going to look like you're playing the scrubs anyway. You know, and so if you if your starters and, and we've actually talked about this over on, on the Rock Chalk podcast, you know, if if your starters are about the same level as your backup guys, you don't see a drop off. And whether your defense is good or bad in terms of talent level, it's at least consistent. So you don't see these big peaks and valleys. Um, you know, SEC schools have stacked talent all the way through, and so they don't have that drop-off. Big 12, what you've seen in a lot of cases is that, you know, the first stringers and sometimes the second stringers are pretty good and, and pretty consistent, but when you have to throw in, you know, that fourth DB or something like that, that's when you run into trouble because they just don't have enough of a defensive talent base. And a lot of that's been because Big 12 is known for offenses, and so you don't necessarily get consistently as many defenders wanting to come to those types of schools that's changed a lot recently especially with like tcu gary gary patterson having that reputation of being a defensive coach that's helped and as the defenses in the big 12 have started to perform better especially playing you know in bowl games and things like that i think that that image just started to turn around a little bit you're starting to see those defenders wanting to come to the big 12 and now some of these teams especially texas have the first and second lines of the defense that are consistently at that same high level. And it's just a matter of executing against other good offenses. Moving forward, looking at Texas's schedule, there's no reason to think Texas can't still go 10 and two and reach the big 12 title game. The only team left on the schedule with the level of offensive talent and the depth of it, that they're going to face on par with LSU is Oklahoma. Look, there are, Tons of really good wide receivers in the Big 12. Tylen Wallace at Oklahoma State has just been a, it's just unhuman. Jalen Rager, we know, is a beast. But the problem with teams like that is LSU has three Tylen Wallaces, three Jalen Ragers. The OU's got guys like that. So there's only one other team on the schedule for Texas I look at and go, they're going to, I'm not saying Texas won't lose again. I'm just saying that as far as a, from a talent standpoint, and the depth of it, OU's the only one that game on the schedule. So there's no reason to think that Texas doesn't go 10-2 this season, reach the Big 12 title game again. Right. And, and I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that almost everyone in the Big 12 is going to be good for one of those, wait, what the hell are you doing type of losses. Um, so even 10-2, and two, you know, they might get there at like 9-3. and three. Um, But but even then, you're right. Like Oklahoma's the only other team that has an offense that is as deep and talented and 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 as consistent as LSU is. Um, but but there isn't a Big 12 team that has an offense that even approaches that level and then also a defense that is anywhere close to what LSU has. And so I honestly think this LSU game is probably the t- toughest in terms of overall level of talent on the team that they will play unless they somehow make it into the playoff. And, you know, like because even o- Oklahoma is super, super talented offensively, but the defense just isn't there yet. They may be able to develop that defense um, to get there towards the end of the year. But by the time they play Texas, I still don't think that that defense is going to have gelled enough and have developed enough to be anywhere near the level that an LSU type is. So I'm expecting that to be a big shootout of the game, but it's going to be a completely different type of one, I think, um, in that you will you will honestly see two you know offenses that are far and away better than the defenses that they're, 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 they're facing, but it'll be your normal Big 12 type of matchup that you're seeing. So looking around the Big 12, Talking about LSU, we'd be remiss to to go up north a little bit and and look at Les Miles in Game 2 for Kansas. And Andy, I'm really sorry to do this to you. We're not going to do this for very long because I don't think people really want to hear much about Kansas, and I know you don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, I spent about 45 minutes or so talking about it on my own podcast, which will be dropping 
um, tomorrow, the, the same day that this one will be. And so um, I'm, I'm a little bit Kansas out, but you're right. We, we would be remiss to not talk about this game at all um, and just how bad Kansas looked in this game. I was on the Pukas coming back. Kansas should be able to muster three touchdowns. And because this Coastal Carolina team is is bad, and after a what opening drive with a TD, they couldn't they couldn't get any more points. Yeah, just like I didn't get to watch any of this game. There were five Big Twelve games on at the same time in the evening, which was terrible scheduling. But just from a, a, a quick perspective, how dire is the situation in Lawrence right now? Oh gosh, if I live near any tall buildings, I'd have to have you watch out for me. But no, I mean it was it was really bad. I mean, you know, it, it like you said, you know, they went down and scored the very beginning of the game, and it seemed like oh, you know, they're en route to go and do what they should be doing against this type of team. And then for whatever reason, they decided that when they ran the ball, they were going to run it straight up the gut where there's nine in the box, and when they pass the ball, it's going to be you know Carter Stanley going out on a bootleg and trying to do his best Patrick Mahomes impression. And of course the problem is he's not Patrick Mahomes, not even close. Um, you know, so we just, it was really bad. Um, ultimately I think the main takeaway is the fact that this offensive scheme is just not set up for the guys that they have. The offensive line has all kinds of problems, especially on the right side of the line. Um, and they seem to be, there were multiple times where Puka Williams had to point out that blitzes were coming and, and Carter Stanley made it sound like they knew that the blitzes were coming and that it wasn't going to work with what they had, but they did not have something set up in the offense to allow them to check out of that and to try to go to a play that would actually work. So at this point, I'm not really sure what to think. The only team I think now moving forward that they have any chance of beating on their schedule is West Virginia. And even then I'm not putting it at more than about a 25% chance. They just they look absolutely horrible unless something changes with this offense. Um, you know, it's it's going to be really ugly for the rest of the year. Um, can we just say shout out to Coastal Carolina for bringing a KU pinata with them to Lawrence to beat after they beat Kansas? Like the forethought of, well, what if we win? Well, let's bring a pinata. Um, the video is fantastic. I'm really sorry, Kansas fans. Like at that point, I'm just starting to just, I don't feel bad for it anymore. Like it, I don't know what to tell you. Basketball season will be here soon, but to have a KU pinata of the Jayhawk, um, that is some that is some high level trolling, right? Wait, there. wait. This is actually the first time I'm hearing of this. I'll have to go find that afterwards and take a look. But that actually sounds really good right now. Like I myself kind of want to take one to go beat my frustrations out on it. So kudos to them for having that. You know, it is their first ever Power Five uh, win. So, you know, great, great for them. Sucks it has to be against Kansas. But to be honest, if you're a Kansas football fan for this long, you're used to being, you know, historic type wins for other programs. So so you mentioned West Virginia. Let's let's talk about the Mountaineers a little bit. They had what we said all offseason. This is going to be year zero. And I know there's a lot of West Virginia people we've had on. We've talked to West Virginia people and they're all just somebody had them as a preseason top 25 in their poll, which I thought was just ghastly, like. This is a year zero for Neil Brown. They have real, real issues there in Morgantown. But I, I am curious about this. Andy, who do you think is in a better situation moving forward? Because Kansas and West Virginia both look awful. Is Kansas or West Virginia in a better situation this season and, and following? 
So I think this season is probably West Virginia. I think Neil Brown is going to, in terms of the potential to progress throughout the season and end up in a better spot at the end of this season, I have to say it's West Virginia. Everything I've seen from Neil Brown makes me think that he fundamentally, you know, is getting it set up correctly and, you know, starting from the ground floor, but has shown the ability to develop players, especially at the lower level. So not working with as much talent. Last miles, I've got to wonder, you know, you've, you've seen the, the rust. You've seen the problems that happened. And the fact that he's been so confident talking about how great this team is. And then they come and do this two weeks in a row. Like they won the first week, but it wasn't very inspiring at all. Um, it makes me think either he is having issues with evaluating honestly what's going on. Um, or there was some other kind of plan or some other realization of what's happening there that he's not sharing with anyone. And he oversold how good the team was going to be. Um, either way, doesn't give me confidence for this particular year. The one point where I'm wondering where Kansas may be better positioned for the midterm, so in the next you know two to three years potentially, um, is just that Les Miles will have a built-in recruiting advantage, being a national championship coach. And the fact that he has those two ace recruiters and Emmett Jones and Tony Hall on his, on his squad there, um, you know, I think in the short term he's going to do better recruiting-wise. Um, you know, it also doesn't help. West Virginia has well-known issues with recruiting and in that area. And so I, I, don't, I wonder how long it's going to take for Neil Brown to kind of build that up. Um, however, you know, if, if Les Miles doesn't make any significant changes between now and then, then once we get to, you know, four or five years, the end of Les Miles' contract, he's either going to be gone because he hasn't been able to do enough, um, you know, or he might even potentially just be gone because he decided to retire at that point. Um you know, unless he makes some significant changes and can really start to build the program quickly, Kansas could very well be in a very bad spot again moving forward. I, I think Neil Brown is the, the more long-term kind of um, benefit there, especially compared to Les Miles. I actually was advocating for a guy like Neil Brown or Seth, or Seth Luttrell when they went and hired Les Miles. So I do think that's the better long-term play and definitely more stable. Um, but I think Kansas might get the benefit in the next two to three years but it could just be for like a two to three year period and then kansas is having real problems again so let's talk about the other team in the state of kansas man i don't know if i am overreacting by being just shocked and surprised and wowed by the fact that kansas state has beaten their last two teams by a combined 101 to 14 or if i need to pay more attention to the fact that they've played Nichols, an fcs squad and bowling green who's really bad um I, i'm having it's, it's a very weird situation of were we all under appreciating how quickly Kleiman could get things fixed there in kansas state maybe the roster wasn't as bad as we thought maybe it was perfectly set up for him or is this just a situation where they've played two bad teams and we're about to have a, a bit of a wake up this coming week when they travel to starksville to face mississippi state well, I don't know that Nichols is quite as bad as a lot of people have been thinking. They were an FCS team, um, you know, that that is expecting to go to playoffs this year. So they're expected to be an, an upper part of FCS. Uh, and Kansas absolutely embarrassed them. So, you know, I, I don't know how much of that is Nichols having problems or is Kansas State really that good? Um, Bowling Green, on the other hand, you know, I, I, I hadn't thought they were as bad as they were. But, yeah, I looked up their Sagarin rating. Um, before we actually got started here and yeah they're they're extremely bad they are 156 um you know which is well below multiple double a teams or or fcs teams 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm not too shocked that Kansas State was able to just completely annihilate them. I really think what the difference has been is that, you know, and what's been getting kind of undersold is that for all of Bill Snyder's failings, he was really good at recruiting linemen, um, offensive linemen and defensive linemen. And while they had struggles last year, a lot of it was due to skill position players, um, you know, and, but they had good foundations for the lines. And what we've been seeing problems, especially at West Virginia and Kansas, you know, to kind of compare and contrast there is those two teams both have significant offensive line issues. Kansas State doesn't. Their, their offensive line is clicking like crazy. And, you know, so they, they have talented skill players that can benefit from that. And they look a whole lot better um, just because they have a good foundation for an offensive line. Neil Brown's been able, or I'm sorry, uh, oh my gosh, Kleiman has been able to build on that really, really well. And it fits into the kind of program that he ran when he was at FCS. So I think that's why he's hit the ground running. I'm wondering if there will be a little bit of a wake-up call. But, you know, coming into this this season, I probably would have thought that they go down to Mississippi State and they lose by five or six touchdowns. Now I'm thinking that they probably still lose this game just because of, you know, where they were at. But I could see this being a close game all the way into the fourth quarter and then losing by seven to ten points. Yeah, I'm, I'm- – I've now circled this Kansas State-Mississippi State game this weekend. We'll talk a lot about it more moving forward. This is going to be my other big game this week. Mississippi State's good, but not awesome this year. And if I'll be really intrigued to find out what Kansas is or Kansas State is for real, because it's just it's so hard to gauge. But I've been really impressed so far. They've done. Look, I, I thought they'd struggle more. I, I thought he was a good hire, but I thought they'd struggle out of the gate, and they have not struggled at all, not even a little. And that's impressive. I mean, even good teams sometimes struggle in your in your week one, week two matchups against lower teams. They haven't. They have looked great. So I'm really excited for Kansas State. I'm excited to see what they look like this coming week. And I've been impressed with them so far. Uh, some some interesting stats. And, and shout out to uh, to Chris Vanini of the Athletic for for kind of putting some of these together. He puts together a interesting stats article like every week. And, and there's one. There's a few Big Twelve ones in here couple related to Texas, but there's one in here that, that I want to know, because I've got two stats, this one and one that I've got. What is more impressive to you right now? Uh, that Oklahoma quarterback Jalen Hurts has nine total touchdowns and seven incompletions this season? Or, and this one's for me, Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State wide receiver has 10 catches, five of them are touchdowns. Those are both crazy. I mean, I, I think in terms of like which one's the most insane, I would have to say probably Jalen Hurts, because even on a good day, you expect him to have, you know, a couple throws here and there that aren't, that aren't, you know, in, in sync with the receiver or overthrowing just a little bit, or, you know, not, not having the right footwork or something, you know, to have more touchdowns than you have incompletions. That's absolutely insane. Um, you know, you will occasionally see uh, wide receivers who, you know, that's kind of their role is either really long plays or possession receivers right down on the goal line or things like that. So, I, I mean, Tylen Wallace obviously is not, a bit player in that, in that offense. And so it, it's a little bit more surprising with him, but I, I just think that that's something that you're more often going to see than a quarterback who has, you know, single digit incompletions and almost double digit touchdowns on at, at any point in the season. Man, the, that, that goes back to our conversation about the big 12 just puts out ridiculous offensive talent. And I don't think it gets enough credit when you see guys like what Jalen Hurst is doing at OU, uh, what Tylen Wallace is doing at Oklahoma State, it's it's impressive. And there's some studs, and, and they've been fun to watch so far. Jalen Hurts has been, you know, we all thought this was going to be the year that maybe OU takes a bit of a dip, 
with Hertz because he hadn't been in the system for a while, and and they were, oh man, not even close. Like it's, I, I'm starting to wonder if Lincoln Riley will have a bad season in Oklahoma unless he just gets like three quarterbacks injured and is on their fourth stringer, who will still probably be awesome. It'll be OU's version of Cardale Jones just all season long. Like I, I don't, I, I know it was South Dakota, but like come on guys. Yeah, but what? fair man. The main reason I think people were wondering about Oklahoma was because of how much they had to replace on the offensive line. And they still have not really faced a team that was going to challenge that offensive line even a little bit. I mean, Houston, you know, Houston was not expected to be any good at all on defense. And I think they've kind of bared that out so far. And nobody really realistically expected South Dakota to do anything to them. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see when they get into some of these bigger games you know, how that offensive line holds up. Obviously, everything's looked really good so far, but I think that's really where the possibility of them taking a dip would be is if the offensive line doesn't hold up to better defenses than they've actually seen. So any other big observations you've had from this past weekend? No, not really. Um, I mean, the other the other games went the way that I was expecting, and, you know, with all of them bunched up together, I didn't really get a chance to watch too many while I was melting down with, uh, with, with Kansas. I kind of poked around a little bit, but I was making sure to watch the, the LSU Texas game for sure. Um, but we've, we've definitely covered that one completely. I, I can't think of any of the other games other than, you know, I was really, really hoping that West Virginia would embarrass Missouri uh, because as much as, you know, I thought that West Virginia was probably one of the best chances for Kansas to get a win um, ever since Missouri left the conference. Well, and, and even before then it's, you know, who, you know, uh, take every opportunity to embarrass the Tigers that you possibly can. But yeah. Um, unfortunately that, that didn't happen, but the, 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 one other thing you kind of mentioned this with Kansas state about how that Mississippi state game becomes pretty big. You know, I did an article over at Lane Grant gauntlet talking about the biggest games perception wise for the big 12 this year. And the only reason I didn't include that Kansas state Mississippi state game is because I did not expect Kansas state to be any good this year, to be honest, the fact that they have shown in these first two games, you know, the potential to actually be a good team this year. You know, I think that one kind of jumps up. I probably would have even put it over. I, it probably would have slotted in at about number four um, on on the list. You know, with, with how easily Oklahoma State beat Oregon State and how bad Houston has looked so far. Like, I think that this game potentially could be a bigger game than either of those two games that we've already seen in terms of how the Big 12 gets perceived. Because if, if, if Kansas State can go down and win that game, you know, one of the teams that was supposed to be one of the bottom feeders of the Big 12 this year, and can go down and win that game and, you know, maybe even potentially win that game convincingly, I think that gives the Big, the Big 12 a huge boost. Although I think it's actually more likely people just say, oh, well, Mississippi State was supposed to be horrible this year anyway, and who cares about the, you know, the the, the bottom of the SEC. Yep, I do think, and I agree, heading into the season, it was not a game that I had earmarked as, as a marquee game for the Big 12, but looking at this at the season, um, OSU beating Oregon State just because it was more uh, that was important more to do with or Oklahoma State not losing that game than than winning it because it was you know the first Power Five game of the season. Early, uh, most of the Big Twelve was playing their Power Five games week three, so it was an opportunity for the Big Twelve just to to get a Power Five win and to not lose a big one. Texas LSU obviously was the biggest most important one for the Big Twelve, and then I think now you have to say the other two because I never thought the OU Houston game was. That big. It was a fun story, but I never felt like it was a big game as far as how the Big 12 is going to look unless OU lost it. I've thought Iowa, Iowa State's huge for a while. Matt Campbell has got to get the Hawkeye losses come to an end. He's got to get that off his back. He's got to get this win. And now with, with game day heading to Ames this Saturday, that game is only 
amped up in importance to me, um, just from a national perspective. But now, I, I mean, you look at that Kansas State at Mississippi State game this Saturday. That I agree. That's one of the five biggest and I think most important opportunity for most important Big Twelve non-conference games this season. There's not a lot of them. TCU Purdue's a sneaky one this Saturday, but I think it's a big game. I really do. I'll be intrigued to watch that, and I'm, I'm also really excited to watch Texas Tech at Arizona because Texas Tech has, you know, we talk about Kansas State. They, Texas Tech's quietly done a pretty good job so far. I, I, I'm still not sure what to take away from that from them. But my, my thought on Texas Tech in the season is they'd be a bowl team, and, and they're 2-0 and so far, which is where I thought they'd be. And so that sets up kind of like Kansas State at Mississippi State. This weekend, Texas Tech at Arizona, we're going to find out if Texas Tech is, is good this season and, and can reach a bowl game and maybe move up in the in the, the standings for the Big 12 this season, or if they're just, just another one that's going to be down there at the bottom kind of fighting it out. Andy, this has been great. Uh, I'm Man, we're two weeks in. I, I almost wish we, we weren't because – I know you weren't, you do, because you guys would still be like one to know or just, you know, still have faith. But uh, you do great work covering Kansas, even though I know at this point most Kansas fans probably don't want to hear anything else about the Jayhawks. But do me a favor, if anybody wants to check out the work you do covering the Jayhawks as well as just the Big 12 in general, where can they do so? With Lane Grant Gauntlet, I, I help with the, with the Kansas coverage there and kind of doing some of the general Big 12 thoughts as well but we do try to talk as much big 12 in general as we can over at rock chalk talk um that is the sp rock chalk pod make sure and give the land grant gauntlet a follow on twitter at the lgg you can find andy mitt's work there guys we'll talk to you again on wednesday Hey guys, a couple of things before we go. Just a reminder, make sure you're subscribed to the 1012 podcast so you don't miss a single episode during the football season. Two, rate and review the show. Five stars, please. It helps guests get the word out about the show to other people. Plus, we just like to know what you like and don't like. Just if you're going to give us one star, let us know why. We appreciate it. Don't forget, if you want to be part of our first mailbag episode this month, shoot us your question. You can DM us on Twitter, at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast, or you can shoot it to us in an email. That's 1012podcast, T-E-N, number 12, word podcast, at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.